and talk about us preaching last week. He preached about uh, favoritism, and James kind of kicks off the unit today with that. And uh, so I really appreciate him laying that foundation, and that's going to help us as we get into uh, the rest of the stuff we do. I was reading this week about a, a test, a psycho- psychological test they do. It was done at Harvard. It was an experiment. They brought a bunch of, of kids in, and they showed them this video. And the video is called the Selective Attention Test. In the Selective Attention Test, there's six people in a circle, and three of them have white shorts on, and three of them have black shorts on, and they're tossing uh, two or three balls around. So the balls are moving back and forth pretty fast, and they're moving. And it's not like a basketball weave kind of a drill. I mean, there's, it's chaos. There, there's no order to it. They're just bouncing around, and they're all passing the ball. And, and they ask you to, to focus for 30 seconds on these six people, three in white shorts, three in black shorts, and to count how many times somebody in white shorts throws the ball. And so if, you, if you've ever heard of this thing, it's kind of hard. And you're watching the screen and you're trying to pay attention to, to who's tossing the ball and who's not. Well, in the middle of the test, uh, for about nine seconds, a, a guy dressed in a gorilla suit comes into the middle of the circle. And he stands there in the middle of the circle and he beats on his chest and, and then he walks off. And then at the end of it, the, the person doing the test says, well, how many times did somebody in the white shorts pass the ball? And if you count it all 15, I'm ruining this test for you, but you can find it on YouTube later. It, 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 it is interesting. Uh, if you count, there's like 15 times the guys in the white shorts passed. So they say, if you count it 15, you're right, and you feel pretty good. Okay, 15, I got it. And then they'll ask, well, did you see the gorilla? And when they did this test in Harvard, half of the people in the circle, half people in the test, they didn't see it. I mean, a guy in a gorilla suit comes onto the screen. He's there for nine seconds. He beats on his chest. He, he, he kind of does a little kind of half dance thing there, and he walks off, and, and they never saw it. I mean, all they, all they, and then the reason, there's something about our minds, psychologically, I mean, they didn't want to see it. They, they were looking for the other thing. They weren't, they weren't paying attention to it. And what they found is that your, your mind and, and the commands you give your mind, your brain and the commands you give your brain, have a way of, of eliminating all of what you consider to be unnecessary information, right? It, it, it's a cool feature of our heads, and sometimes it really, it really helps. It's, it's why some people can walk through a grassy field and see a four-leaf clover as they're walking along. They, they have an ability to immediately eliminate everything else but what they're looking for. It's why if you decide you want a certain gadget, maybe you want a smartwatch, uh, all of a sudden, all you notice is everybody seems to have one. You never noticed it before, but now that you want one, it seems like everybody has one. And, you, and you, so you, you might even be asking them questions, and you start noticing how people are using their, their smart watch, and, and it makes you want to use that watch too, and, and then you can have one also. And, 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 and a, kid, a kid who maybe is not as, as, as worldly wise as an adult might, might, might feel like everybody has a watch like that. Every, I mean, everybody has one because that's all they can see. They've eliminated all the other information except for what they want to know. And like I said, sometimes it can really help you. You know, at your work, if you're really focusing on one thing, it can really help you eliminate the other stuff. And sometimes it can, it can really cause some damage, this ability we have to eliminate all of what we consider to be unnecessary information. You go to a ball game. It's a, it's a little kid's ball game. Uh, uh, fifth or sixth graders, and they're playing. They're playing basketball, and it, it's not a high-scoring game. You know, maybe it's it's four to two, and you're into the fourth quarter, and, and you're sitting beside uh, some parents whose other kid is one of the kids too, and and they're they're playing ball, 
and these parents have been on their phones since they got there, right? They're in the room. It's all happening in front of them. They're just not watching it. They're just not paying attention. And this notion of paying attention, that's a pretty big gift to give to somebody, Especially in our day when there's so many things that can distract us. Because, because when you, I don't know if you've ever had this, but like uh, you're, you're eating dinner with somebody. And, and while you're eating dinner, their phone rings. And they look at their phone and they click it and they put it down. And you think, yes, I won. You know, I, 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 they, they, could have, they could have given their attention to somebody else. But I was more important than whoever it was. Or maybe they take it, oh, I have to get this. And then you're sitting there while they're talking to someone else. And, and maybe they did have to get it. I, I don't I mean it's hard to know. I mean, I've done that before. And I, I've got to get this. And, and you interrupt the, the deal. It's, it's, but then you lost. You know, and you, you feel like, man, I thought I was kind of important. But now I guess maybe I'm not. Because if you can get somebody's attention just for a moment, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's, that's an act of generosity on their part. And you, and you feel it, you know, when you have somebody's undivided attention. I find about myself that I'm, I'm easily distracted, even in conversations. My eyes are chasing everything else in the room, and it's hard for me to focus in and just really be there. And, and Jesus did that very easily. I, I see it as a real character flaw on my part. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, it says he saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless, and he had compassion on them. Jesus could walk through a crowd and see the blind man all by himself and go talk to that guy. You know, and the crowd's all pressing around him, but he sees the one person who needs his attention. And he does that over and over. Zacchaeus was like that. He, he's going through town, he sees Zacchaeus there, and he stops and has a conversation with him. Jesus has a way of, of seeing the one person who really needed attention. And I don't do that. I don't do that. When I, when I see the crowds, it's very easy for me to kind of go into self-preservation mode, to try to get to a place where the crowd is a little less quiet, or a little more quiet, a little less you know, pushing against me there. I, I, if I do find myself in a situation where I'm just going to be stuck there for a long time, maybe like a wedding reception or a, or a reunion of some sort, and, and I'm going to have to be here, I might want to gravitate towards people who I think are interesting. I might, I might scan the room and say, well, here's somebody I want to spend time with. And, 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 and again, that, that thing in my head, it eliminates all the unnecessary information. But the people who Jesus sent us to help are often in that unnecessary information, if that makes sense. And so when I was reading this chapter this week, this thing on James, and I'm trying to get into it, it kind of convicted me a little bit that I don't often uh, have focus on the things that God would have me have focus on. And the way James phrases it, he makes it sound pretty serious. And as a preacher, I kept trying to find ways to get out of what it seemed like the scripture was saying real clearly. I kept trying to find, well, it can't mean that. That seems pretty hard. And I was trying to find loopholes, I guess, in what it was saying, and I just couldn't find any. So I'm just going to present it to you, and you can take it and do with it what you think you need to do. But it was very convicting to me. It really challenged me. And uh, hopefully as we go through it here, it'll have that, that effect on you too. It, it, what we focus on and what we put our attention on has a great deal to do with what kind of people we're becoming and what kind of human beings we are. Um, Gabe kind of alluded to that in the communion. You know, little kids are able just to focus on the moment, but, 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 but when we get older, we start thinking about our energy and our time and will I be bored and is this going to be hard and, 
And sometimes we can allow our hunger for comfort to get in the way of what life's all about. And this passage talks about that a little bit too. So here we go. Uh, James, uh, James starts off in chapter 2. And this is probably, if you're familiar with the book of James, as famous a section as James has. This is probably the part of the book that James is most well known for. He says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith, but they have no deeds? Uh, and King James said, said, had no works. And that's caused a little bit of a, of, a, of a little firestorm. You know, as Christians, we believe that we're saved by faith and not by our works, and, and that ultimately you can't do enough works to, where God would have to do something for you. you. You cannot be good enough that God would be in a bind. Like, I wasn't going to let you into heaven, but you're so good, I have to. I mean, none of us have that ability. All of us are dust and ashes. We're all doing the best we can, and we all stumble and fall a lot. And so we know as Christians, our salvation comes from just having faith. We just trust in Jesus, and we hope that he'll save us, and we, we give him our hearts on the sure promise based on the cross that he will, right? But what James says is, what good is it to have a faith if there's no work at all? And I think what he's talking about here is something that, that happened in their day, but can sometimes happen in our day too, that a person will say, well, I'm saved by faith, therefore I don't have to do anything. And whilst, you know, as a mathematical formula, that may or may not be true, I mean, you are saved only by your faith, and there's no amount of works that's going to get you into heaven, that's not the same thing as saying that God didn't expect you to do anything. You know, as a, as a dad, I'm going to love my kids, and I could say it, I will love my kids even if they don't do anything for me. But if my kids took that and said, okay, well, then I'm not going to do anything for you, I mean, that wouldn't, it's not what I'm after. That's not really what we're shooting for here. That's kind of what James is saying here in this verse. He says, what good is it if a person claims to have faith and no deeds? But then he, he takes it a, a half a notch further. Can such a faith save them? And the, impl the implied answer is, well, no. I mean, a faith that has nothing else with it probably isn't faith. A person says they have faith, but you can't see any evidence of it at all. Well, that probably isn't even, it probably isn't even faith. It probably isn't even uh, a real thing. And Jesus, by the way, says that too. He doesn't use these words, but he says the same thing. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not enough to call out to him if you don't do anything. Now again, there's no amount of doing that's going to get you to heaven, but if you don't do anything, I mean, what are we talking about here? Paul says the same thing. Paul says in Romans, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to de death the misdeeds of the body, well, then you'll live. You're going to have to make a decision to put away those things about our personality. So what Paul's encouraging here is, is that selective vision. You're going to have to want the Lord enough that you start not seeing some of the stuff that, that you used to see. You're going to have to have such a passion for God and such a passion for what God wants you to do and for what God wants you to be that some of the things that used to be attractive kind of fade off into the, 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 out of view there, that you don't see them as clearly. You know they're on the edges of your vision and it's blurry out there and you're not focused on those things. You're just focused on Him. If you think that, that, uh, that, that just believing, uh, several years ago, um, uh, Julia and I have a friend who's a professional baseball player, and he, we got to go to a Dodger game. It was, it was a lot of fun, and we had a, a Dodger 
jersey on, and he took us back to the back where the, where the players come out. And I got Vince Scully's autograph. It was a big moment. But anyway, I was back there in the back, and, and I'm wearing the Dodgers jersey, and I'm amongst the players, but I'm not a player, right? I couldn't just walk, <laughs> hey, hey, now that we're all friends, let's hang out. I mean, I couldn't do that. And they didn't want to see me the next day in the, in the, in the dugout there. I mean, we're all hanging out there together, but I'm strictly a guest, and everybody there knows it. And even if you were a person who had just showed up, in that moment, and really didn't know your baseball that well, you can tell I'm not one of these guys. I mean, they're, they're all muscular and tall and big and strong, and I'm just me, and, and you'd, you'd see it immediately. There'd be no mystery about it. You'd, you'd immediately notice, this guy's not really a Dodger. He's not really one of them, but I'm wearing a jersey. I'm hanging out. Isn't that the same thing? And it's not the same thing. It's, it's, it's not the same thing. Uh, ultimately, if I'm going to say I believe in certain things, then it has to affect my life. It has to affect how I, how I move about. It has to affect the decisions that I make. It'll start to change how I look. James goes further with this thought. He says, you believe there's one God, as if that's enough. He says, even demons believe that. Now, a couple things to comment on that. Uh, as Christians, we believe in angels and demons. We believe uh, that, that, that there are angels who, who do the Lord's bidding and we can't see them, and that there are demons who do the devil's bidding and we can't see them either. And James is saying the demons believe in, in God. They know there's a God. They just are, don't care. They just don't want to serve him. They fight him all the time. They, they know there's a God. They just want to go the other direction. They say it's, it's not enough to believe it. You, you've got to do something. You've got to, I mean, the demons have a faith, but it's not a saving faith. They believe, but it's not a saving belief. And so he goes on to explain it. He says, he says suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. And if one of you says to him, well, go in peace and be, uh, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, well, what good is that? Now, let's, let's think about this illustration here real fast, because this is the part of the story when I was studying for this that I kept wanting to get away from, and I, and I, I couldn't. He says, he's been saying, suppose a person says they have faith, but they have no deeds, it's not real faith. He said that over and over again. Now he's, now he's taking the same language, but he's putting it, uh, an illustration to it, but putting something that you might run into during your, your week. He says, a, a brother or sister. Now, that, that kind of implies that it's a Christian. It's somebody that you know. There is a possibility here that James is talking about the brotherhood of man, that it could be anybody, but probably talking about a Christian, talking about somebody you know, talking about somebody in your circle who, who's got some hard things going on, and they're without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, well, I hope it gets better, you know, well, well what, what good is that? And, and the implication is it was no good. I mean, it's no good. I would take it further here and say, well, well, what if I say, well, I'll pray for him. Well, I'll pray for you. You know, hey, I'll be praying about that. And that's all you do. Hey, I'll be praying about that. I do that sometimes as a way of, of getting away from the conversation, maybe. Somebody come and tell me some awful thing. Hey, you know, this and this and this and this in our family and this and this and this. And boy, this is awful. And I don't know what we're going to do. Hey, I'll, I'll pray about that, I'll say. And that's kind of my get-out-of-jail-free card if I don't watch out. Hey, I'll pray about that. And they say, oh, we really appreciate the prayers. I know it. And then I can, I can back away. I've offered to do something. But I didn't really do anything for them in that moment. Especially if it's an event like this. I mean, hey, I'll pray about that. Well, they don't have clothes. 
Well, I'll, I'll pray about that. They don't have food. I mean, if I've got $5 in my pocket and I say, hey, I'll pray about that, well, what good is that? If I've got $200 in the bank and I say, well, I'll pray about that, well, what good is that? I could have taken care of the problem. Why am I asking God to do it? And it's, I'm not saying that prayer's bad. I mean, prayer's essential. We've got to pray. But, but, but when I see the need, if I offer to pray about it and do nothing else, then what am I really doing? I'm not really doing anything. And I think what James is saying here is that when you see the need and you see somebody in that kind of situation and you don't, you don't move, I mean, you don't sacrifice, you don't take care of it, then you don't really have faith. And in a case that's foggy, he, he makes it clear in the, in the next slide. In the same way, he says, faith by itself is dead. I mean, if, if you, if in, in that situation, if you don't do something, well, you're just playing games. Well, where that hit me, and maybe, maybe I'm being too hard on myself, maybe it won't hit you the same way, maybe you'll feel different about it than I did, but, but when, I, when I drive through Bedford or when I know that certain people are having a hard time with certain things and, and I don't fix that best I can, well, then I'm not really Christ's disciple because he would have fixed it. He would have stopped. When Jesus is going through the town and there's this huge crowd pressing against him and a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years touches him, he stops and has a conversation. When, when Jesus is going through town and, and everybody's pressing on him and they're wanting him to go and a guy cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, he stops for Bartimaeus and he heals him. And Jesus always has a way of, of looking for those guys on the edges and he does something. And if I don't do that, then I'm not really representing him. And when we talk about faith, when we use that word, what we're saying is, I believe that Jesus knows how to live my life better than I do. So I'm going to take his leadership on this thing and not my own. At, at some level, that's the essence of faith. And so when I see people who don't have clothes or see people who don't have enough to eat and I say I'll pray about it, that's not enough. It's not even enough if I do pray about it. If I could act. Now, certainly, some situations, I mean, what do you do? I, I mean, you wouldn't even know how to address it. If, if you thought about it real hard for hours and hours and hours, you wouldn't know what to do. In those situations, all you can do is pray. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those moments when I know that I could make a difference here. I, I know that I have the resources and the energy and the time. I, I could change something here. I would just need to change my schedule. I would just need to change my budget. I would just need to change my plans. When I see those kinds of things and I don't move, James is saying, well, you don't have faith then. Because faith ultimately, you know, remember what faith is. It, it, it's trusting at Christ. It's trust. It's trusting that Christ knows how to live my life better than I do. I don't have to have faith that Rick is sitting there. I can walk down and, and touch him. I, I mean, I don't have to wonder about that. He, he's right there. I don't have to have faith that this thing's going to hold me. It's held me all this time. I, I, I mean, it may take a little bit of faith to think it's going to hold me, but realistically, not very much. But it might take quite a bit of faith to take my last $20 and give it to somebody else. But who, who am I serving here? And if I really have faith and, and he's put this person in front of me and I can make a difference, I mean, don't I have to do that? It just really knocked me around this week. There's a photographer, a guy named uh, Kevin uh, Carter. He took this picture. It was the Pulitz, P 
Pulitzer Prize winner uh, the year he took it. It's in Sudan, and here's a child, and there was a whole group of kids, and they were going to this food line where they're giving away free food, and as they, she walks across this field, uh, she, she, she stopped. She couldn't go any further. She's so hungry, she couldn't go any further, and so she stopped, and as she stopped, this bird, this vulture, lands behind her, and he took a picture of it, and it was the Pulitzer Prize winner. And he took a lot, Kevin Carter's, you can look up his stuff online if you're interested, but uh, it took a lot of pictures in Sudan and, and how awful it was and the oppression and, and the, the hunger and everything. Well, it, when it won the, the award, of course, online, people are merciless uh, and, and they take shots at people. If you're successful, you can expect to get a few shots. And, and so um, people started asking, well, what did you do about it? You know, you saw that little girl there. What did you do about it? Did you, did you do anything? Now, it came out later that there were armed people around, and she was part of the group that was not with the armed people, and they didn't care, the armed people, if she died or not. So he really wasn't allowed to do anything to help her. He did say he chased the bird away, um, and, and she does get up and go to the line, he said. But people were mean to him online, like, like, you should have done something. You're sitting there taking pictures when you could have done something. You could have done something. And ultimately, it, it, it wrecked him. Uh, he, 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 he took his own life a few months later after he won the award and all the abuse. He couldn't get over that idea. I was right there, but I didn't do anything. I, I, was, right, I was right there, and I, I should have done something. I think even people who don't know the Lord right? Even people who are far, far, far from God, they know that part of being a good person, being a good human being is to do something when you can, right? I mean, to take care of things when you, when you have the ability to take care of things. But it's more the more so when you're a Christian. I mean, when you're a Christian, man, you, you, you have a, 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 a moral obligation, a duty. You've been drafted. You're not your own. You belong to Christ. And, and Christ would certainly do something about things if he could. We often, in church, reduce faith uh, to church attendance, right? We make it all about church attendance. And, and I've been challenged by that by a friend of mine uh, lately, and 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 I, I'm I'm a preacher, right? I'm I'm pro church attendance, so I'm not against that, and I don't want to. And there's a lot of value, I, I believe, in coming together like this and singing together, and 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 being. Uh, we can work together to introduce Jesus to people who don't know who He is, and and, and there's something really powerful about being here. Some of, some of the most uh, uh, some of the biggest steps forward I've taken in my spiritual life have happened in church and in the context of a church service. I'm not against that. But, but if we don't watch out, we can reduce faith just to this meeting on Sunday morning and, and, and make all of faith about showing up to this meeting and, and, and being consistent in this meeting, maybe even bringing some friends to this meeting, and that's all it is. And I don't think that was ever what Jesus had in, in mind. I think there was always more than just being here. Being here is important, it is, but, but, but it's, it's not even the most important thing. The most important thing is for you to become like Jesus. The most important thing is for you to be like Jesus would be if he was in your house with your strengths and your weaknesses, your, your, your history, 
your marriage, your, your kids, your, your family? What would Jesus be like if he was like you, you know, in your situation? How would you be different if you were like Jesus? That's the goal. Everything else is just sharpening the tools and, and helping us to, to get there. And, and part of being like Jesus is having eyes that see the things that Jesus sees. And we, we start to notice the people who are on the edges. Part of being a Christian is, and, and, and just real practically, this is the part that just clobbered me all week. And again, it may not have that effect on you, and, and I'm not on purpose trying to yank your chain, but just as food for thought more than anything else. I mean, who am, who, am I, who am I helping during the week? And when I say that, I mean like a name. Do you have a name? Who, who are you helping during the week? Who, who are you reaching? Who, who are you serving? Who are you giving special time and attention to? Who, who are you giving to? Who's one person who's kind of down and out who you made an effort to make a difference to? Who's, who's one, just one name in your head? And, and if you're like me, it's hard to think of one name on some of these questions. Maybe on most of these questions. It's hard, it's hard to think about that one person that I... Because, and, and, and again, my defensiveness creeps in pretty fast. And maybe yours does too. Well, I got a lot going on. I got a lot going on. I mean, there's, there's some things in my family. I mean, there's some things. There's some things I'm trying to manage, and you know, there's work and stuff, and you know, and, and it's hard. And 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 you know, there's some truth to that. Life's hard for all of us, you know. And there, 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 there's there's some truth to that. But you only get one shot at this thing, right? I mean, we only get one life. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And, and, and the goal of faith in this life is for me to become like Jesus and to shine his light into the world. It's not just to come into this room. That's important, but this is just so I can be strong enough to do the things I'm supposed to do. So I can go out and change people. And um, Mother Teresa, I'm not at all advocating you be like Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, <coughs> she, she uh, in one of her... Uh, journal she talks about going to see this fella uh, and he was super crazy poor just 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 unbelievably poor she said you would not be able to find a person in worse straits than this man was and when she went into his little hovel and house there and and where he's living everything's a wreck everything's dirty everything's a mess and and she says well I'm gonna I'm gonna wash your clothes and uh and straight and clean up clean up your house here a little bit. And he tried to talk her out of it, but she wouldn't be talked out of it. And so she starts doing all that. And at the end of it, he has a lamp beside the chair that he sits in there. And she says, why don't you light your lamp? And she said, he said, well, no one ever comes to see me. So why would I light my lamp? I'm happy in the darkness. And so she, she tells him, well, what if I had the nuns come see you? Would you light your lamp if they came and saw you? And, and he said, yes, if they came and saw me, that I would light my lamp. So, he, so she goes back and she tells the nuns in that area, that every day I want you to go just see this man and, and visit with him for a while. And, uh, and, then, and then life went on for her too, because I mean, she was really busy. And, and uh, two years later, she gets a message from the guys. He sends a message to her through the nuns, and, and, uh, and he tells her, tell my friend that the light she lit remains lit still. You know, and and I think to myself, well, I can't be Mother Teresa. I mean, I, mean, I don't think I have that in me. I don't think there's any part of me that has that in me. But all she did was wash his clothes. All she did was clean his house. 
I mean, it wasn't like she went in there and performed a, a, a miracle, or maybe it was that she performed a miracle. I, I don't know, but it was a miracle that I could do too. I mean, it wasn't something that was radically beyond me. When asked about that and some other things, she said, I don't claim anything of this work. It's God's work. I'm like a little pencil in his hand, that's all. He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil only has to be used. And that's what faith and works are, right? It's faith that saves us. He's the master. He's the artist. He's the author. He wants to write something with your life. God wants to do that, right? All you've got to do is allow yourself to be used. Just open your eyes. You go to a restaurant, and there's a couple that you know, and you say, well, hey, it's good to see you here. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's date night. They say, oh, good. Somebody's watching the kids. Yeah, somebody's watching the kids. It's date night. Well, great. Hope you have a great night. You sit down across the restaurant, and every time you look over at them, they're both on their phones. And maybe they're texting each other, you know? Uh, maybe they're writing back and forth, but probably not. Open your eyes. You know, so many of us spend our whole lives trying to build money or trying to build reputation or trying to build uh, whatever, hoping our kid will be the next Tiger Woods, uh, the next great athlete, and, and there's nothing wrong with focusing on some of those things now and again. There's, there's not. But at the end of your life, there's only one thing that's going to save you. There's only one thing that's going to transform you. There's only one thing that's going to make your one and only life glorious. And it's tying yourself to Christ. Open your eyes. You know, the community that we're part of, uh, it's struggling at different times. You only have to read the paper to see it. There's, there's drug problems all over town. There's, there's, there's people who are living in, in, in houses that you wouldn't want to live in living in apartments that are just uh, uh, trashed up all the time, and you could make some sort of a difference. So you, you, you could help a group like Becky's Place or Bertha's Mission or Life Food Pantry, groups that we support. We could get you right in there, and you could make a difference. And, and, and again, if you can make a difference, you should. We challenged the kids all week long to think about bringing shoes, an organization that we found out about called Souls for Souls. And, uh, and the kids all did it. They, they brought in all these pairs of shoes. And you know, at some level, that's not a big sacrifice for the eight-year-old. He didn't work for those shoes, right? He just, he, he didn't have to pay for them. But, but there's something so precious about that. You know, I could keep this, or I could share it with you. And when we see kids doing it, it's, it, it's, it's powerful because because as adults who are trying to mentor those kids we know that even in that little thing it's making them more like Jesus and, and you, you could do these things you should do these things honestly it's what faith is it, 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 and according to James it's all that faith is you know, the other stuff, you think about what James could have hit on. He could have hit on how we don't pray enough or how we don't sing enough or how we don't read our Bibles enough. He didn't hit on any of that. He just makes it about service. 
Jesus gave his life away. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to give yourself away. Now, at the end of our service, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to give you a chance to sing with us, and we're going to sing first a a song that kind of focuses on the prodigal son. and, And for any prodigal sons out there, there's a chance for you to come and just ask God to take you again and move in you again and work in you again and, and lead you again. And I'll have some people on both sides and they'd be thrilled to pray with you. But this time is also for us just a time of prayer. And I read something this week and it kind of challenged me. It, 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 was, a, it was this notion that when I pray, I, I realize I'm dependent on God. And so I should pray all the time. And his point in, in writing it was this notion that when I pray, even if I don't feel it, right, even if there's nothing in me that, that feels it in that moment, even if what I'm, 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 I don't really have anything to pray about, you know, I'm just, I'm just out and I'm on, I'm on the lake and it's a nice day and the sun's shining and, and I've been out there all afternoon and everything is as good as it can be. Even in that moment, when I pray to God and just say, God, thank you for this, and I'm recognizing my dependence on God. And there's something powerful, even when I don't feel it, when I pray, it like centers me again where I'm supposed to be, you know? And, and, and so there's no pressure on me being a great prayer. I'm not a great prayer. I'm not a great Christian. I mean, I'm just hanging on. But there's something so powerful about just praying, and asking God to move, and, and, it, and it centers me again. I remember that he's in charge, and I'm not. And he's God, and I'm not. And he's got a plan, and I, I don't have much of a plan. And he's taken me someplace. And so we offer you a chance here at the end of the service, whether you come up and pray with the guys on either side here, or just stay where you're at and pray. Man, take advantage of this time. And, and, but I'm going to tell you, there's something powerful, whether you come up or not, in praying with somebody else. Even if you put your arm around the person beside you and say, and you pray with them, and just the two of you pray, there's something so powerful about that because he says whenever two or three of us ask for things, he's right there. And so take advantage of this moment to get yourself straight with God. And if there's some things that you need to adjust on, take a moment during this time to get that adjusted too. One of the band come back up. One of you guys stand up, and I want to pray with you. So won't you stand up, and let's pray together. Dear Lord God, I thank you uh, for a chance to come before you. Father, to remember again that, that I, don't, I don't run it, you run it. I don't, I don't control it, you do. And that, God, I need you not only for my, my, uh, my strength, not only, God, for my success, but just for my peace of mind. God, help me remember that, that you've got a plan for my life, that there's things you're wanting to do and and places you're wanting to take me. God, give me the courage to go to those places and to see those things and to be who you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.